Our New Testament reading is taken from the book of Acts chapter 2. I'll begin reading in verse 5. Luke writes, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. In 1999, two researchers named Christopher Chabri and Daniel Simons conducted what is now considered one of the most famous experiments in modern psychology. They called it the invisible gorilla. And in the experiment, subjects were asked to watch a very short video, one minute long, in which there are two teams, a white team and a black team, wearing white shirts and black shirts, passing a basketball. And participants in the experiment are asked to look only at the team wearing the white shirts and count the number of passes they see. Now, while all this is going on, a woman wearing a full-body gorilla suit walks out, walks into the middle of all of the passing, bangs her chest like this, and walks off camera. And here's what they found. You see, if you're just watching this video as is, you can't miss the gorilla. It's right there plain for everyone to see. But when you're asked to actually focus on a task, in this case, to count only the basketball passes passed by the team in the white shirts, that 50% of the participants failed to even see the gorilla at all. And you think, well, how could that be? There's no way that's true. Well, I tested it with some of our staff members this week. <laughs> and it's, it's pretty amazing. You see, that what they are testing is this phenomenon that when you are so focused on one thing, it's possible to completely miss the obvious right in front of your nose. We experience this every single day. The phenomenon is called inattentional blindness. It happens when we are so focused on one single thing in our sight that the most obvious thing in our field of vision is shrouded by darkness. Yeah, so this is very common to our everyday experience. For example, when we're driving, it's possibly so focused on the traffic ahead that you completely miss the exit that you've taken many times before. Or it's possible at work that you can become so engrossed in an email or finishing a project that you miss a very important meeting that you've been looking forward to for weeks. Or it's possible in parenthood. Right? When you're focused on one child doing one thing and you completely miss the child in the living room drawing princesses in the wall in red marker. It's possible to be so focused on one thing and completely miss the obvious thing right in front of our faces. And this is certainly true with the book of Acts. Especially when we consider the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. 
As we read Acts 2, it's possible to be so focused on the mystery and the miracle of the Holy Spirit that we completely miss the point of why he came in the first place. And so last week, we looked at who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. This week, we're answering a different question. Why? Why did God send the Holy Spirit in the first place? This morning, what I want you to see is this that God sent his Holy Spirit to the church so that we might be empowered to extend the kingdom right here in Dallas and all over the world. We're going to see this in four ways this morning right here in the book of Acts. Chapter 2, the story of Pentecost. The first way is this, that God sent his Holy Spirit to the church for the purpose of global witness. Look with me, Acts 2 Verse 5, this is what Luke says. He says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So the first thing we must recognize is that Pentecost was an international event. There were already there living Jews from every nation who had been scattered but now gathered to live in the holy city. But we also know that at Pentecost, people would come from far and wide, right? Internationally, they came for the feast. And so here at Pentecost, you have the whole world, the nations gathered in one place. And so when the Holy Spirit was given to the church, he was given at an international gathering. You see, God sent the Holy Spirit so that we as his people would be witnesses to the world. Jesus tells us this in Acts 1, verse 8. He says, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, Jesus tells us why God sent us the Spirit. He says, first, the Holy Spirit will be sent to you, church. You will receive power. Why? So that you could be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. For us, that's Dallas and Texas, to the United States, and to every corner of our world. It's an echo of the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, the Great Commission is not an optional mission statement for us as a church. The Great Commission is not just for a select few Christians who are called to international missions. The Great Commission is for every single believer in Jesus Christ and every single church. And so for us at Park City's Presbyterian Church, our mission statement is this, that we exist to extend the transforming presence of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ to Dallas and the world. Do you hear it? It's just a great commission. That's our purpose. Our mission as a church at PCPC is to fulfill the great commission in every single thing that we do, beginning right here, right now in corporate worship. The great commission is ours to fulfill, but what we also recognize, what Pentecost teaches us, is that Jesus has not commanded us to fulfill the great commission on our own power using our own strength and our own resources with our own cunning and intelligence. But he commanded us to go, to be sent out. And then he himself sent us the Holy Spirit to empower us to that mission. 
You see, God is a missionary God. Thomas Aquinas called this the Missio Dei. He recognized that God fundamentally as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he is a sending God. God the Father sends the Son. God the Son sends the Spirit. And now the Spirit empowers us as his church to be sent out to every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. We see this missionary theme throughout all of Scripture When God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, so that you will be a blessing. When Jesus comes to his disciples, Jesus, the light of the world, giving them the light so that they could now be a light. Or as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, that as God's people, we have been reconciled so that we now could be called to the ministry of reconciliation. And here in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, God sends out his spirit upon the church so that we now would be sent out as his witnesses to the world. The second way that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, we are empowered by the Spirit for gospel proclamation. Look with me at verse seven. Luke says, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each one of us in our own native language. Now, as this international crowd of people listened, they heard the worship and testimony of the disciples. You see, what first gathered them together was a great sound. Not the sound of the mighty rushing wind from verse two, but the sound of worship. They heard the worship of the disciples, these 120 men and women gathered in the upper room. They were drawn to it, and they became astonished. Not just because of what they were saying, but how they were saying it. Each and every person, regardless of the nation they were from or the language they spoke, heard the gospel in their own native tongue. This is nothing short of a miracle. What's more is Luke goes out of his way to tell us that Part of what astonished them is that what's coming out of these people's mouths is coming from Galileans. You see, archaeologists and commentators recognize that Galileans 2,000 years ago had trouble speaking their own language. That they would get tripped up on the gutturals in the speech. In other words, the Galileans were just a bunch of rednecks like us. It'd be like a bunch of Texans, right, who can barely even speak Spanglish suddenly having the ability to speak perfect Chinese with no accent whatsoever. This is a miracle. Every person there simultaneously hearing the gospel spoken in their native tongue. How did this happen? We're told, Acts chapter 2, verse 4. Luke says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit It began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now the connection between the person and work of the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues has been controversial for 2,000 years. It was controversial in the New Testament church. When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, it's controversial today. Today there are essentially two camps, two groups of Christians on either side of the debate. How are we to think about tongues today in the work of the Holy Spirit? 
The cessationists believe that while the Holy Spirit is very much alive and work today, that the miraculous sign gifts, such as tongues and prophecy, well, those gifts have ceased. Why? Well, because the cessationists argue that because God's revelation has been given to us, that these gifts are no longer necessary to authenticate what God is speaking to us. These gifts have ceased. But continuationists on the other side of the coin, well, they believe that the gifts of tongues and prophecy are very much alive today, that they are part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the present age. They hold that these spiritual gifts are outward signs of the Spirit invisible work within us. Now, in a sanctuary that's this size this morning, I have no doubt that there are people that represent both sides of the debate right here. And I have no doubt that there are many others who aren't sure or find themselves trying to find some kind of happy middle. Now, before you all look around at each other and start pointing fingers and naming names, I just want to give us a few ground rules before we continue. The first is this. Any present experience of tongues that claims to offer new revelation, that claims to speak on the behalf of God, is going against what Scripture teaches. That Scripture itself is God's final revelation. It's been given to us. It is God's word, and we need not add to it or contradict it. The second thing is that any view that claims that any particular or specific spiritual gift is necessary to be evidence of the Holy Spirit's work within us is contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The third thing I would say, as Apostle Paul himself taught, is that any practice of tongues today that creates division in the church is contrary to the united mission of the Holy Spirit. And the fourth thing that I would say is that theologians on both sides of the debate, both cessationist and continuationist, they both agree that what we are witnessing here at Pentecost is something different than the modern experience of tongues. And let me show you what I mean. As I mentioned last week, Pentecost is a once and for all event, right? In the same way that we have the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, and we should not ask that those things should happen again, Pentecost happened once and for all. We should not expect it to happen again because we don't need it to. God's Spirit has already been sent on the church, and He has just as much a work today as He was back then. But we must recognize that what happened at Pentecost, there's a uniqueness to it. First, we see this when we're told that the disciples began to speak in other tongues. Not just tongues, but other tongues. In other words, what they began to speak in is not something unintelligible or a spiritual utterance, but they spoke in something that was intelligible, something that could be understood immediately. They were speaking in other known languages other than the one they themselves spoke. But we also see this in the way that the tongues were received. That is, by the hearers. There was no need of interpretation. The people who were there that day at Pentecost heard their language spoken to them immediately. But the most important thing, the uniqueness to Pentecost, and particularly this miracle of tongues, is that every time that we see tongues mentioned in the book of Acts, it's mentioned alongside the proclamation of the gospel to those who have not yet placed their trust in Jesus Christ. You see, the message of tongues at Pentecost 
is that the Holy Spirit has been given to the church to empower us to proclaim the gospel. That when we share the gospel of others, it is not up to us to change their hearts, but that is the work of the Holy Spirit. He is moving when the gospel is proclaimed. He is moving when the gospel is preached. And so should we expect every time that we share the gospel that tongues would happen? Of course not. But what we should expect is for the Holy Spirit to move in power. Because the same Spirit that opened up your heart and mind to believe has the power to change the hardest heart to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. So third, the third way that the Spirit empowers the church God sent the Holy Spirit for reconciliation. I want you to look with me at verse 9. Luke goes to great trouble to tell us all the different nations that were there present that day. Nations from the north, from the south, from the east and the west, from every direction. It was diverse and it's quite a list. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and Mesopotamians, Judeans and Cappadocians and from Pontus and Asia. He even says that both Jews and proselytes a Gentile that had come to faith in Yahweh, Cretans and Arabians. His point is, it was exhaustive. Every nation under heaven present in one place. This is a foreshadowing of what God will do later in the book of Acts. That the gospel would not just be for the people of Israel, the Jewish people, But the gospel would go out to the Gentiles and to every tribe and every tongue and every nation so that ethnic groups and peoples who once had no business being together, who literally hated each other because of their past, had been drawn together because of the work of the Holy Spirit, that they were reconciled to one another. What does that mean? It means the enmity that they had with one another, the hatred, the bigotry that they had for one another dissolved. Because in Christ Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, their friendship was restored. What we must recognize is that what Pentecost teaches us is not just the nations will be brought together as one, reconciled to one another, but that at Pentecost, God was reconciling the world to himself. We see this in our Old Testament reading this morning. It's the story of Babel. If you know the story We're told that in those days, there was just one language and one people. And they used all of their cunning and all of their might to try the best way that they could to get to God. And in doing so, they made themselves gods. They worshiped themselves. They became rebellious. They began to build a great city and a great tower, all for one reason, so they could make a name for themselves. And so looking down from heaven and seeing this, we're told that God, the name above all names, sent down a curse. What did he curse? He cursed their language. And suddenly one language turned into many languages and they could no longer understand one another and they were dispersed as nations throughout the world. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the invisible gorilla in Acts chapter two is that Pentecost is a reversal of Babel. You see, at Pentecost, God is reversing the curse. He is reconciling his enemies, that's you and that's me, to himself. He is saying, no longer will your languages be confused to where you cannot understand one another or even the gospel itself. 
but I am drawing you to one another and to myself so that as I speak the words of the gospel, you will hear them with your own ears and you will come to believe. Our God is a reconciling God and he has drawn us to himself. No longer are we rebels and enemies, but we have been called his friends. And we see this in the way that he has stopped at nothing so that we could hear the gospel for ourselves. So the last thing this morning where we'll end. How does the Holy Spirit empower the church? The Holy Spirit empowers the church for the harvest. Verse 12, Luke writes, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked, and they said they are filled with new wine. You see, just as it is today, not everyone who was in the crowd that day at Pentecost recognized the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, there were those who were amazed and who were astonished. But there were many, Luke tells us, who heard what they heard, these languages being spoken, and they were filled with doubt. And they said, you know what? These guys have just had too much to drink. It's an interesting accusation when you consider Paul's instruction in Ephesians that we should not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we might be tempted if we were just to stop right here and right now to think that when Pentecost happened, the Holy Spirit was given to the church, that it was met with great skepticism. And while part of that is true, what we read later in Acts chapter 2 is this, Acts 2, 41. Those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. In other words, a church of just 120 people suddenly became a church of over 3,000 in one day. See, I think sometimes we are so focused on the Holy Spirit's miracle of tongues at Pentecost that we completely miss the miracle of saving faith. But the reason why tongues came to the church, the reason why the Holy Spirit was given was so that the hardness of hearts would be broken down and that people would become believers in Jesus Christ, that the church would grow. You see, every single person who becomes a Christian who believes in the gospel, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for their salvation, in that person, a miracle has happened. The Holy Spirit has worked in power and has moved them to believe in something that is completely unbelievable. The great father of modern skepticism, David Hume, he said it this way, he said, it takes a miracle for any reasonable person to believe in the Christian religion. This requires much more than reason, he said, it requires faith. But anyone who is moved by faith into such belief must be aware of a continual miracle within him. It's amazing that he said within him. See, Hume meant it as a critique, but I think he was exactly right. To believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ is have a miracle living inside you. His name is the Holy Spirit, and he is illuminating our hearts and minds to trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so it's no accident that God sent his spirit to Pentecost because Pentecost was also known as the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of the Harvest. You see, the Jews had gathered that day to celebrate the harvest, that God had poured out rain to make the crops grow so that they could eat. 
And they were celebrating all that he had done in the harvest. This is not a coincidence. You see, Pentecost marks a new harvest for us as the church of Jesus Christ. Not a harvest of wheat, but a harvest of souls. And one day, when the harvest is over, we are told that God's people will gather again. A great multitude from every nation. And this is what we're told. Revelation 7, verse 9. John says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and all languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God and to the throne and to the Lamb. From every tribe and every tongue and every nation, God's people will gather again. This time they won't gather to hear the gospel proclaimed to them in their own language. No, this time they will proclaim it themselves. They will cry out and worship and they will call out, worthy is the lamb. Until that day comes, God has sent us the Holy Spirit. And in sending us the Holy Spirit, he has sent us out as laborers in the harvest. First, this Holy Spirit has been sent to live within us, to reside in us, to dwell in us, perfecting us, giving us faith, sanctifying us and conforming us into the image of the Son. But God has also sent us the Spirit to work through us, that we might now be sent out to Dallas, to all the world, every tribe, every tongue, and every nation, to boldly proclaim the gospel message that's been entrusted to us. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this great gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that the Holy Spirit now dwells in us as a people, that he unites us together as one body. We're also thankful that now that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you've equipped us and you've gone before us, that we might now fulfill the great commission as your church. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fill us as your people. Empower us to speak the gospel, to give us every opportunity to share our faith with others so that they might see too the good news of Jesus Christ. We ask in his name, amen.